This is Jane McGonigal, the author of Super Better and a big fan of the Psych Tech Podcast. You're listening to Psych Tech Podcast, where you will get the future of psychology and technology. Welcome to Psych Tech, the psychology and technology podcast. As always, I am Kelly Dunlap, and with me is Josue Cardona. Hey, Kelly. How's it going, Josue? Good, 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 good. So good. So good. So we're on to part three of our epic uh, Super Better fan club happy hour. Fan club, book club. Fan club, book club. <laughs> Sorry, I guess I was hoping it was happy hour already, but we're recording at 11 a.m., so not, uh, not our usual late night drink appropriate happy hour. But uh, today we're going to be going over the chapters 9, 10, 11, and 12, which are allies. That's the one I have open to right now, so why don't we just start there? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, so allies, um, so we'll kind of go over a quick overview of what it is. So it is your fifth gameful rule, and described as recruit your allies, friends, and family members who will help you along the way. And if I remember correctly from last podcast, Josue, you said that this was your favorite chapter? No, 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 no. No? No, the next one is my favorite Next chapter. one? Oh, that's the one yeah. you're quoted in. Okay. <laughs> I'm just yeah, getting ahead yeah, of myself. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so for me, this chapter was really more review than anything else. Uh, the idea that having a support network, people who want you to succeed, people who are there to support you, is kind of a cornerstone of psychotherapy. So... But again, it's it's always put in a way that's very accessible. And I think right off the bat, she has a really important point in that it's hard to ask for help. Some people really, really struggle with that. A lot of people really struggle with that. But asking someone to play a game with you is a lot less scary. Yeah. And, and a lot of people you know, haven't been to a psychotherapist or, or, or talked to somebody who maybe wasn't uh, doing what they were supposed to, you know, and covered the, the very important idea of a support network and people to talk to and people in your personal life that can help you and then uh, not, not just help you, but, you know, the, the book, it always takes this positive outlook on everything. So it's not just that when you're not doing well, um, an ally can be very helpful, but having an ally along the way for the good stuff makes it better. And she backs all that up with research, as always. Yep. She identifies five ways that you could use an ally. So the first one is they can suggest a quest for you. So whether you're working on recovery or maintaining or getting even super, super better, you know, it can always be helpful to have somebody else help you set a goal or help you kind of outline a, a quest that you could do. Because I know sometimes I struggle with that. How do I, I don't know how to measure that or I don't know what I could do. And then you ask somebody else and uh, that, that third or that outside perspective can be really helpful. Yeah. The, oh, go ahead. No, you go. Okay. Uh, the second one is activate a power up together. So not only do you have an ally there to support you, but they're working in tandem with you which is really powerful. They, I think that kind of goes back to earlier in the book when she talked about people physiologically and mentally syncing up when they play games together. Mm-hmm. And it's a really powerful social connection. And yeah, when someone does something with you, there's a lot of positive uh, neurochemicals that activate. So your number three, brainstorm strategies for a bad guy. So sometimes it can be difficult to actually identify 
what we're struggling with, we might think it's one thing, but it's actually something else. So you know, for some people, oh, I want to lose weight, and so my bad guy is eating that chocolate bar, when maybe an another perspective could be you don't value yourself enough or you know you might not think that you can do it. So it's not really the chocolate bar, it's your own belief in yourself. So having another person kind of help you identify a bad guy that, uh, that you can tackle or that might seem tackleable. Fourth one was we have a daily or weekly debrief or check-in. So I call this the Weight Watchers model where you have a weekly check-in. Uh, and Weight Watchers is more of like, it's supposed to be a support group. I feel like it's more accountability. But I know uh, I'm studying for licensure right now, and so I have a weekly check-in with the people I'm studying with. And that definitely helps keep me on point, because even if I don't want to do it, I don't want to study you know, neuro whatever, or I don't want to study ethics this week. I do it because I know that there are other people counting on me as well, and that I'm going to be checking in with them, and so that helps me a lot. And the last one is celebrate an epic win together. So it's always cool to celebrate, and sometimes you have to be your own cheering squad, but it's always fun to party with somebody else. And, and each and every one of those steps also sounds like a therapeutic relationship, right? It sounds like yes. what you would have either a therapist, psychologist, a coach, and, and it could be a trainer, you know, for anything that you're doing, that other person, even down to the, you know, once a week check-in, you know, that could be a session that you have, or that could be, you know, meeting with your trainer at the gym, uh, you know, every couple of days or, or some kind of, of, doesn't have to be a subject matter expert, right, to help you out either. Uh, mm -hmm. She's putting it more on on just having people in your life that can help you because I think that that people don't always. I think some people omit both sides. Like sometimes you're just talking to people who maybe aren't the best people to help you, and and you're missing out on people that know a little bit more about what you're you're trying to work on. Like, again, just asking your friends about diet advice or what you should do at the gym when there are definitely people who are trained to do that and can help you a lot more than just your friends. But that doesn't discard that even if you are talking to experts, that your friends can give you this outside perspective and can really help you out and be creative and think outside of the frame that you are, you are maybe even planning on going in. And then, you know, good ideas can come from either way. Either way, don't go it alone. Exactly. And something else that I thought was really kind of clutch in the in the, this chapter was it's not just how to ask for help, but it's how to or ask for an ally. But there's also stuff on how to be a good ally. So if someone asks to be your ally or you're an ally to someone else, it gives you kind of strategies on how to do that. So, you know, know the person that you're trying to help, know what they're struggling with and you know, provide them power ups. Here are things that you can do to help them. Because you know them, you know that they love fluffy kitten videos or you know they love this one power ballad and so that you can you can suggest to them and then you can help them battle their bad guys so if you're you know you it's kind of like a when people exercise they think a lot about having a gym buddy or a running buddy someone again to help them kind of overcome the doubt or the i just don't want to do this today kind of feelings or i can't do this today kind of feelings uh, it talks about designing a quest for your hero which is how they re refer to the person who has to be your ally and then report on it. So kind of check in with them, see how they're doing. And then say so the last one is hunt the good stuff, which I thought was interesting. And it's you, the best thing you can do is to shine a light on your hero's hard work and accomplishments. And that sounds like such a therapy line <laughs> in, in the best way possible. Uh, because I can, I can think of countless examples when I've worked with somebody of 
regardless of, of disorder or diagnosis or, or difficulty and like pointing out to them that, you know, what you did was really heroic. What you did was really awesome. Uh, like when I was at with our RTX, there was a guy who waited to talk to me after my panel for like an hour. And he told me that he was, you know, he had depression and that he had a hard time making friends. And if I had any advice for him to how to continue to, how to, how to reach out and, you know, meet people. And so I asked him, I'm like, you, do you realize, you know, look, look where you are. You are here. You're with 30,000 other people. You are in a room. You've been standing. You're talking to a complete stranger. Like, have you stopped to check in and see how amazing and what a huge accomplishment that is? And then he started crying and then I wanted to cry. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's really powerful because people sometimes have blinders to their own strengths. And, and again, as, as therapists, we see that kind of thing during that weekly check-in. Like you can see a person walking differently, looking differently, facial expressions, you know, like you can see those gradual changes. And, and many times there are gra they are gradual. So you don't – it's like it's things that are difficult to quantify and you couldn't possibly notice them unless you were really, really, really paying attention or cataloging them. And that's actually something we'll talk about in Chapter 12. But – that is a huge, huge part of it. Just pointing out, like, doing good, man. I see, I see this. I see this improvement. I see that, and then shining a light on it. Absolutely. Yeah, because sometimes people don't have their own their own light, and typically it's being, hard. Yeah. It's really hard, like for everybody. Like maybe you, I don't know. Oh no! Believe me, the hardest thing in my <clears throat> life. Well, no, that's a bit exaggerated. But one of the most difficult challenges I ever face is writing a a cover letter. Or, or like a bio where I have to talk about myself in what I feel is an overly positive or glowing, you know, everything in there is true, but it makes me feel really uncomfortable because I feel like I'm, I'm bragging. So typically I have somebody else. I'll have my husband write it first and then I'll look it over and then I feel better because it's somebody else who said those things as opposed to me putting it out there. But yeah, I, that's one of the things I hate. I hate writing like bio blurbs and things like that. Have you, uh, if you've ever tried to lose weight or anything like that, like sometimes you're starting and you feel, you don't feel like you're making any progress. And when people start pointing it out, like, did you lose some weight? Like, oh, I can really tell, like, you know, you, you're, you look a little different. That just makes a huge difference because it kind of validates your, your effort, you know, because you, you, you hadn't noticed maybe. And there's lots of things like that. Yeah. Sometimes the scale is a dirty little liar. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. And then the, the last part of the chapter is about seeking allies online. So, for example, when I started doing Super Better, I asked my husband to be my ally. And then he he said, okay, but then he didn't do anything. He didn't – just a couple of weeks ago, he got an email that said, you know, why did I get an email from Super Better? What's going on? And this was, you know, a long time ago. So he's not uh, – not the most reliable ally when it, in terms of working in Super Better. Obviously, if I told him I needed something in real life, he would do it. But except be my ally and super better, apparently. So yeah, sometimes you need to seek out allies in other places. And so uh, super better actually has a, a community that helps you to do that. And that's how I did it when I played the game. I went online and uh, the thing uh, I was... So, so part of the chapter, it talks about how the, the second... I think it's the second most um, popular activity on super better was giving plus ones to, to people on their actions, right? So allies doing something for other people. 
And it talks about how, how good that is like for the ally too. Like you get excited about helping other people. And so when I was looking for an ally, I started looking for somebody who was working on what I was working on. But then I found someone who was working on PTSD. And even though that wasn't my goal at the moment, I could relate to that because I was in a really bad car accident, had PTSD, um, still have some symptoms for that. And so it was different. Uh, experience that she had, but at least I could relate to it a little. And I thought, hey, well, maybe let me reach out to this person and see if if she's okay with with me being her ally for this, and maybe she can help me with my thing. And and we agreed, and it was actually really cool. We used the app as intended, not like John did. Yeah, which is not use it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the chapter on allies, which again, it's it's lots of social science about the importance of support groups and having a support network and making sure that the people who are in that support network are actually working in your best interest and working to support you. And then I really just do love that it gives tips for allies because sometimes we can want to help, but we, we just don't know how. So I really enjoyed that. What you, what you said just reminded me of the, what I think is the most important part of the chapter is that people don't know how to help. So by by using this model, there is a a set out plan of attack from the allies' perspective. And a lot of times, people don't know what to do. So you can offer them, "Hey, listen, this is this is you know what would be really helpful." In super better terms, it would be give me a plus one on this, recommend this, do this, um, and you can just do that in general, right? Listen, what I really need is not for you to call me every night to see how I'm doing. You know, I'd rather, you know, you send me an email um, or let's chat like over this or let's meet for coffee on Saturday. You know, don't come over unannounced or don't do this, but please do that because this would be really helpful for me. And she talks about research that that says that that makes a huge difference for people because many times they don't know, they, they want to help, but they have no idea what to do. Yeah. And it's probably... The people who, who try to do something that isn't helpful are probably the, the minority. The majority are people who want to help and have no idea what to do, so they never do. Yeah. And if you tell them just like the simple things that you know could be helpful, will will help everybody. Yay, all the help. All the helps. <laughs> uh, all right, so chapter 10, which is, is the next one, is all about secret identities. And this is Hostway's favorite chapter. Yes, it is the most playful of all the rules of gameful living, according to Jay McGonagall. <laughs> and secret identity, uh, so it's uh, gameful rule number six, adopt a secret identity, pick a heroic nickname that highlights your unique personal strengths. And um, I really like the chapter because uh, I'm in it, um, but that's not why, why I love the chapter the most. I really think that it is... Such a cool idea to because the idea is that you're making you're taking concepts from games and you're moving them into real life and getting benefits from them. And I mentioned last week that one of my favorite things is having an epic story, having a reason to move forward. Um, this is I've mentioned this game a few times. There's a game called Nino Kuni where your your mom dies right at the beginning and you're on this mission to possibly bring her back to life. You know that there's a way that you might be able to do this. So, and that's your mission. And that's why you're going forward. And 
you know, uh, I love the idea of Zelda games. In particular, there's one where right at the beginning they kidnap your sister, and and you got to play with her for a little bit at the beginning, and then all of a sudden she's gone, so you're on this mission to save this person that you care about. And not all games have a really enticing reason, right, to 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 do something, but many many do, right. You're gonna just very clearly just save the world, or you're a part of this. Um, bigger scenario, right? And and you have a role to play um, with other people. Like I'm thinking in MMOs and things like that. So I, I really like that about games. I love being in the in this role where I can do something great. There's this motivation to it. And so she talks about taking on your own secret identity that is related to your goal, to your epic win. So she gives the example of her own... Um, original idea, right? Her own original secret identity, which was Jane the Concussion Slayer. And it was based on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She was a big fan and she kind of wanted to embody those things in her own mission, modified to slay not vampires, but concussions. And that kind of idea for me, it was um, at the time the, actually and that's still the secret identity I have on Super Better, was the next Doctor. There was this one episode of the TV show Doctor Who where the current, the, the, the Doctor, he travels through time and he meets someone who might be the next version of himself. And this person, he, he wants to embody all these these qualities because he he is this next person. And, and the way that that episode frames it always got me thinking, um, it, was, it was a cool concept. So I love the show. I love the things that he stands for, and there are very particular things that that character stands for that I wanted to embody. So by taking on that name, I kind of try to put them into action in in this story, in this adventure, which is my my super better journey. Yeah, I mean that's. Uh, I think you said a lot of of what I felt reading this. Uh, I guess the only thing I would I would really add to is. In psychology, there's a lot of research on the power of taking on identity, and McGonagall touches on uh, quite a bit of it in the chapter. But the idea that you can put on different personas and then you can do things that you never thought you could do, that's one of the appeals of activities like LARPing, live action role play, is you get to take on the identity and, and become someone else and do things that maybe your normal self wouldn't do which can be really fun and exhilarating because you're, you're trying something new. You're achieving an epic win because you're, you're doing something that, yeah, like you weren't sure that you could do, or you never imagined that you could do. And I know a lot of times in working in therapy that you ask people to think about themselves in a different way. And for someone suffering from say like depression, asking them to imagine themselves as happy or as not as in pain they oftentimes have to pretend to be just an, another person or to look outside of themselves, uh, which, is, which is an odd, odd kind of cognitive trick. But the idea that you can become someone else, even if it's just for a little while, but the more you practice it, the more easier it is to become what it is that you were pretending to be. So it's important to be something you want to be. Because, um, yeah, you, I think the phrase is fake it till you make it. And that's uh, that actually reminds me a lot of, of this chapter of Secret Identity is putting on this idea that you are somebody of worth and value and you have these inherent abilities and you're, you have value and you can do X, Y, and Z, whatever you set yourself out to do. 
and then you start to believe that. And then over time, you believe it more and more and more until you've kind of no longer need of the alternate identity because those same strengths and values are how you identify yourself. One of the activities she has to kind of figure out what your secret identity might be is to just look at people that you admire. Um, and and that's, a, that's, a, that's an old... Uh, it's, a, it's an oldie but a goodie uh, in in counseling where you kind of have people like, oh, yeah, let's just talk about people you admire. Oh, yeah, what do you admire about them? And then you kind of narrow it down to these things that, you know, to, it comes to a conversation where more than likely these are things that you admire about them, things that you really like because you wish you had more of them and that you could do more of them. And then you talk about how to put that into into effect. And... The, the the great thing about the secret identity in in the super battle model is that you it's all intentional it's all very goal oriented there's one very specific win that you're trying to achieve and so you you can change your secret identity at, at any time but if those things are aligned it really again you're just thinking about what it is that you want to embody what it is that you really want to do and just start doing it right because now you have a very laid out specific plan with your your power-ups can help you be more like that character, right? Or that identity that you've taken on. They support that. The quests are things that that identity will do to achieve that epic win. So it is, that's why she, she starts the chapter off with like, it's the most playful one, right? But it it's actually so important for motivation and for reframing what's going on, right? It's mm-hmm. like now I'm a, I'm a person on a mission, and maybe I'm not, you know, I'm I'm this person. I'm more I'm more like this identity now because of that goal than than I was before. And everything is very intentional. It comes back to that idea, like the things that that has stayed with me the most so far in the book is the idea of being super intentional with the things. So, like if you're playing video games, play play maybe a different video game or play games for 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 very specific reasons because you can gain benefits from them. So don't just take on a secret identity because it sounds cool. Take one on that has meaning, and if it has meaning to you, it can actually help you move forward. Yeah, and she even says in the book again another really important part of the the secret identity chapter is that you can change your secret identity. And I think sometimes people get stuck. So, well, I was Jane the concussions layer and now I've slayed all the concussions and there's nothing left here for me to do. You know, my job here is done. That's kind of true, but it doesn't mean that you have to stop uh, working to be super better, that you have to stop working to to learn something new or improve your circumstances. So X might be no longer an issue for you. So you check in with yourself and you see, you know, what, what do, you know, maybe maybe there's another thing or even just, you know, how are you today? You know, if today maybe depression isn't your issue, maybe today you're feeling more anxious. So maybe you put down the, I am the depression slayer and you pick up, I am the anxiety slayer. So this idea that you can just move between these identities is super, super important because it lends to the idea that we as human beings are not a single thing and that you can have multiple identities. You know, I identify as, you know, a female and a wife and a student and a clinical psychologist and a nerd and a geek and a gamer and a major Halo fan. So there's all these ways that you can identify as instead of getting saying pigeonholed into I am depressed or I am anxious. 
but that there are there are ways to get around it and there's other ways to look at yourself through many different lenses another takeaway from video games is that that really applies here is the idea of a loadout or of uh, a set of armor or perks or mm -hmm. depending on the game, you know, whatever you, you want to use. Some some games you just pick like power-ups right before you start because you're getting prepared for that particular level or for that particular mission. So even though you have lots of things to choose from, you are, you're not going to go fight a water-based uh, bad guy with fire or with like rock weapons or something, right? Like you want the appropriate thing, you want the right armor, you want the right weapons. And I think that that kind of puts all of that in in that same framework, right? Like, okay, so now I'm the concussion slayer, then I'm the anxiety slayer. You have different tools, different things that you're, you're on a different mission, you know? And I think that puts everything together and, and just gives it a really cool framework. Like, this is what I'm here to do. I'm not here to do this other thing. I think, I think in Jane's example, she said, you know, the whole game started when she was the concussion slayer. Mm -hmm. And then I forgot the name she used later, but I think it was, um, she was trying to, to get pregnant, right? Her and her husband were really working on fertility treatments. And I think that was the next, um, she, she gave another title that she changed her, her identity to for that. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. It had to do with a, a fertility goddess from yes, a long time ago. Yes. And I'm trying yep. to remember what it was yep. as well. But yeah, that, that idea of you can evolve and you can change and you can take on, just like masks or hats, you take one off and you could put another one on. It also tells a story. I, I, she doesn't go all the way into like, you know, telling a narrative, but really that, that, that is what's going on. Mm -hmm. You're telling this, now you're telling this huge story and everything is connected, right? There's nothing, there's, none of this should feel disconnected. Last night I went through my old super better account um, because I, I started using it a few weeks ago and we started reading the book and then, but I have all these power ups and quests from, from before that I, perhaps I never, because in the app you can vanquish them, but they still kind of appear there, but I wanted to start over and create some new quests and new power ups. So I had to go through and delete all of them. And I really wanted to do that because every time I went in and I looked at my quests or I looked at my powers, a lot of them just had nothing to do with what I was doing. And, and that's no fun. Uh, those are just like extra baggage. Like in a, in an RPG, when you're just carrying all this uh, extra stuff and you're weighed down, you need to get rid of all the old stuff that doesn't uh, serve your mission now and then just re-equip with all the, the, the stuff that you need and then go forward. And that way now I have all this space to add again, power-ups and quests and identify villains that are actually a problem now and not that were an issue for me or helpful to me two years ago. Mm -hmm. So kind of, again, it's like you're, you're telling this story without really telling a story, just being very intentional with all of it. I love it. Mm -hmm. uh, the other part I wanted to point out was they talked about the reflection, the self-reflection paradox, which I'd, I'd never heard it called that in particular, but it's the idea that Reflecting on hardship can either or make you stronger or weaker. And there's a lot of research out there about why that is. And uh, a couple authors have uh, identified the self-distancing technique, which is, again, looking kind of outside yourself, seeing yourself as a third person. So, you know, does Kelly really want that extra candy bar? Um, does Kelly really want to ditch class? So seeing yourself as, an, as kind of an outside spectator of your own self as a way to help kind of put the decisions and your thoughts in, in perspective, because typically people are thought, well, if you talk about it, you know, uh, 
catharsis, that you can get it out and you'll feel better. But one of the problems is that if you continue to kind of chew on whatever is bothering you, you actually make yourself less healthy. You know, if you're holding on to something and you just keep worrying it and working on it, you're going to stay in that kind of negative uh, frame of mind. And so that's what they talk about in the, about the middle of the chapter is this idea of it's good to reflect on your challenges, but you don't want to dwell on them and internalize them as something that's a, a flaw. You want to kind of keep them at a distance, definitely look at them, take stock, but realize that they are something outside of yourself and take a step back and really kind of evaluate from that position. And the application of that is really cool because it's like if you're feeling stuck, take that step back. Ask yourself, would Kelly do this? Yeah. Why is Kelly doing this? Is Kelly, is this a good idea, right? And then you can kind of, I, I don't know, I, I see it the same as like when you're playing uh, a game and you have a character, you have an avatar, and you see it, right? You're, you're looking, you're, it's like going into third person versus first person. Yeah, that's and a really then, good way of putting it. Yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like, hmm, something doesn't look right. Let's see what's going on. And then according to the research, like you can you can make certain decisions and, and move forward with uh, a little more ease than than if you are in first person mode. Yep, it's always easier to see things when you have a little bit of distance. I'm pretty sure Elsa said that. Maybe, maybe. No, I'm pretty sure she did. I'll have to sing Let It Go, but I'm, I'm, I can confirm. All right, on to our next chapter. Uh, chapter 11, Epic Wins. So it's our, our seventh gameful rule. And go for an epic win, an awe-inspiring outcome that helps you be more motivated and less afraid of failure, which is a huge, huge part of changing any kind of behavior, whether it's thought patterns or physical behaviors, is not being afraid to screw up and not seeing failure as the end. That's probably one of the most challenging things that I found as a, as a therapist is people make a mistake or they take a step back and they often feel like everything has been for naught. But I know when I worked a lot with uh, substance abuse, uh, people who struggle with substance abuse, you know, one of the mantras was relapse is part of recovery. You know, it's three steps forward, one step back, but then you can go another three steps forward. So one step back is not, is not the end. And even if you take four steps back, then you, you start again. Every day is a new day. And you, know, you just continue to work towards, uh, work towards the goal, regardless of whether you felt like you, quote unquote, failed or not. My, my first practice was called destination counseling. And to me, it was the, you know, the first thing we had to do was define that goal and make it clear and make it, um, again, a, a word that, that comes up uh, over and over again in this chapter is attainable. Right, it cannot be unrealistic. It needs to be something that can really happen because otherwise, why would you work towards it? Mm -hmm. But you need that one thing, that final boss. You need that, that last. Maybe it's not a final boss. It's the goal, right, that you're trying to reach. It's what's beyond the final boss, and and defining that is so important, so important, so important. Um, again, like if you're, if you're losing weight, it's not. You can't have the, the epic win be to weigh less than would be healthier or like 300 pounds away. You know, it has to be realistic. It has to be attainable, something that you can attain in, in the foreseeable future. And it has something to be that, measurable too. Yes, 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 absolutely, right? It has to be measurable. It has to be something. It can't just be, I want to feel better. Mm, that, what does that mean? I want to weigh... 
I want to weigh less. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's not an attainable goal because the, how do you know that you attained it? How do you know that you reached it? Yeah, so and it, the difference yeah. between I want to lose weight and I want to lose five pounds. Exactly, exactly. And, and then, but in that case, right, that's a good example. Like five pounds isn't too bad. Five pounds is, should be pretty easy. It might feel uh, like a huge win, but we could set that as a as a quest instead and then have or a or a milestone and then have the epic win be 10 pounds or 15 pounds mm-hmm. right something that goes a little farther beyond something that is not it's like it's twice as much as five pounds but trust me it's like that's huge motivation the five pounds you could just like, stop eating salt for for a couple of days and probably lose five pounds well, of water weight you know easy there buddy five pounds hey. for some people <laughs> i'm not naming names here but it would be a huge victory. But that, that's the cool thing about the quest is that you can completely scale it based on what, what works for you. And I, that's what I really, really like about it is I know for me, if I was able to lose five pounds, I would be ecstatic. Yeah, ladies out there, much harder to lose weight. I got your back. Again, depends how much you're weighing, right? Well, and, of course, uh, yeah. And how much you, you have to lose versus want to lose versus, yeah. So there's, there's so many variables, but that's the great thing about setting your own goal is you can adjust it. You know, if I cut out salt, like Kosoy said, and all of a sudden I dropped five pounds, well, yay, I met a goal and now I can set a, a more realistic one or I can set another one. So, but yeah, five pounds sounds like an awesome thing for me right about now. Right. And so other, I mean, I'm, I think a lot of people would probably use it for things like uh, for things that are physical. So it might be like losing weight, or it might be um, running a marathon, right? And there's a lot of steps towards that, right? Um, that can that come before that, and then successfully running uh, um, a full marathon might be, you know, that might be your epic win, or it might be. Or heck, even running know. running a five k. Like if I was to set an epic win, running a five k would probably be it. And then my quests would include. Okay, go jogging, you know, three times a week using my, you know, couch to 5K or something like that where it doesn't seem unattainable, but it def- I'm not sure I can do it. And that's what she, uh, Jane says in the book is that it needs to be something that you're not 100% sure you can do because that's a quest. If you know you can do it 100%, that's a quest that you can go on. The epic win has to be there. There is some uncertainty so that when you do achieve it, there is, that's the, the epic win part. And it's funny because I, I said five pounds, and you're like, whoa, f-. I'm like saying five pounds is nothing. You're like, wait, 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 five pounds is a big deal. And I said a full marathon, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's go back to 5K. And this is, this is a huge um, – this is what it's like, right, to, to define that epic win and put it in that sweet spot where it's not too easy and it doesn't seem impossible either. Because maybe I would argue that, uh, you know, like thousands of people run full marathons, you know, every week. And maybe you know a few people. And then, and then my counterpoint like, would be, yes, thousands of people do, but there are billions of people on Earth. And so they are a very small percentage. <laughs> so obviously that tactic would not work with you. But other people might be like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, Susie at work can do that. I think I could do it too. And then if we set a realistic timeline, it's like, well, you know. This isn't going to happen in a week or a month. Like this could be, you know, something that's a year out. Is that is and maybe that's too long, right? To to achieve an epic win. So you want to scale it back, right? So yeah. then maybe maybe it's a ten k. So it's something we can achieve in ten in three months, four or five months, and then just the feeling of doing that. Maybe you want to go further. Yeah, and it, but it, it all depends. It's a on, balance. Yeah, it's all, it all depends on where you start too. 
Because even a year for someone who goes from couch potato, you know, never having run in their lives, telling them to run a marathon in a year, that would be a huge, I mean, to me, that sounds like a huge, huge ask. So it's really good to, as she talked about earlier in the book, chunking it down, creating smaller steps. Whereas somebody right now who, let's say, was a marathon runner already, but got sick or was in an accident and is kind of rehabbing and wants to get back to it, that seems like a completely reasonable uh, goal for them to set. Uh, of course, depending on you know the, the limitations, but because there's there's again, it's all about the starting point and where you're at, and it's it's the beauty of super better is it's completely flexible, and no one's assigning to you what you should be doing. You kind of have to do that for yourself, which is both challenging but also really really cool. Yeah, and but but it's so important, right? Like that balance of if you just if you just don't believe you could do it, then that's not that's not an epic win for you because you you're not even it's not an attainable goal you know, if you don't well, you're you not do a, it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And and there's also, you know, it could also be completely unrealistic on the sense that, you know, again, I'm going to run a, a a full marathon in 2 months. It's like get out of here. And I don't think I don't think that's going to work. And then as an ally, are you being unsupportive? Well, no, I think you're being supportive because you're helping them achieve something that is again attainable. The idea is just like the quests are wins that you can get every single day and opportunities to to face a challenge every single day the the huge the epic win is something that you that's what you're moving towards that's the the tower at the end of journey if you've played that right it's something that you're moving toward nonstop you're always moving in that direction and and to be able to define that early on in a way that really works for you is fantastic. And I don't know, I like the idea of, um, for example, if going back to weight or, or going back to the running, right? So, so some of your quests or some of your achievable goals in the meantime are shorter races mm-hmm. or just um, couch to 5k is great because it does have those week to week achievements. Yes, so you does. could say like, you know, week, you know, week five, day three, that is, you know, a huge win for you. And, and that's another notch on your belt moving closer to that epic win. So it's, it's difficult. It was, it was one of my most fun things to do um, in my counseling practice and be able to be completely upfront about it. Like, this is what we're doing. We may be, I used to use this GPS analogy, like we need to set a location on that GPS, on that GPS, and we may be recalculating our route along the way, but you know, that's where we're going. That's where we're moving. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking, cause for me, I hate running. I hate it with a passion. I hate it more than anything else in the world. But I also understand that I need to have, you know, exercise in my life to stay healthy. And there's actually an entire portion of, of this Epic Wins chapter about sneaking up on your goal sideways. And so it's a tactic for when either your goal doesn't inspire you. So for me, the idea of weight loss does not inspire me because I love food and I hate running. So it's not particularly inspirational. Or the other example she gives, you know, something not in your control, something that's physically not possible, um, or you can't imagine anything that would make you happy or feel better, which you know is pretty common for individuals with depression or PTSD or other um, significant difficulties that they're, that they're overcoming. So I know for me, when I was thinking about how do I sneak up on this goal sideways? So instead of my goal being, I am going to run a 5K or I'm going to do couch to 5K, I'm going to run three times a week. 
that is that is the goal. That is not something I'm excited about. <laughs> it it does not make me happy. But coming at it laterally, something that I do really value uh, is Ellie. Ellie, my my rescue beagle, who is the light of my life. And sorry, John. And you know the idea of well, you know if what if I was to donate a dollar for every mile I end up running? So at the end of the month, I can look back at my tracker, at my, my Couch to 5K, and see how many miles I've run, and then I get to donate that money to the Rescue Foundation where I got Ellie. That, to me, is incredibly enticing. That does inspire me. That does make me want to push a little bit further, to go a little bit farther, uh, because that's something that's really important to me. And it's something that I don't normally do, you know, when you're I don't normally donate money to the, the, it's the lost dog and cat rescue for those who, who might be interested, even though I always, you know, I always think about it, but I never actually do it. So it's kind of taking out two birds with one stone because I'm getting myself healthier and I'm get, engaging in a more healthy lifestyle and I'm doing something that's really, really important to me, which would be helping to support, uh, you know, the, the animal shelter in my area. And the the idea is to just have some sort of win when you're facing something that it's very very difficult. So it, it wouldn't have to be running related necessarily. Oh right? no, it no, could no, be, it could be anything. Yeah, like maybe you could. Um, you're you're going to school for game design. Maybe there's a an, a project or something that you need to do, and then you know just putting that into your into your game into your adventure, um, just like successfully completing this assignment, and then just. Putting that, you know, connecting the dots that, well, when I complete this, it's going to make me feel better and it's an accomplishment and I've reached the goal and that can help me move t- towards this because it's increasing my resilience and um, I'm getting that, that feeling of accomplishment again. And that can maybe help me push forward on this other thing that I want to do. Yeah. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we could make a, a running training game, right? That, Where you're yeah, just that like getting a, points. That would be a for, totally different way to, to come at it. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's yeah. the idea is if the goal, the epic win that you want is not attainable for some reason, whether it's maybe a physical limitation or in my case, it is not something that I like to do at all. Finding kind of a sneaky way, uh, she says, come at it sideways. Finding some way to put one of those values that we talked about last podcast, putting that into your goal somehow so that when you do do it, and when I'm sucking wind and my legs are cramping and I'm like, F this, I hate life. You know, I can think about the puppies, all the puppies. And that I know that will give me, <laughs> I know that that will motivate me to just finish, finish the run or whatever, whatever goal you might be working on. Yeah. But again, and just, just framing it in such a way that you see that it's all connected, yes. that it can all help you. Um, it all comes together to help you achieve the same goal because sometimes a lot of it is a mental block, right? Like it sounds like maybe how much of the resistance that you're feeling towards a running, how much of that is physical and then how much of it is mental. Oh, it's mostly mental. I mean, that, yeah, that, that's right. a running thing in general. They said running is what 90% mental, 10% physical. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I totally, I totally own up to that. So you can do things that you know will work on your mental resilience and that should help you then um, in other pursuits that are uh, meeting mental resistance too. Or I mean, just the, the reappraisal, like we talked about earlier, instead of thinking about, I, you know, ruminating on, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. I'm thinking about the puppies, do it for the puppies, which makes me feel better. And just the practice of reappraising itself means that the next time I come up against something that I really hate or don't want to do, 
I have, I have experience. I have a new habit. I have a new tool in my toolkit that I can use. And so instead of focusing on, oh my God, I hate this so much. I wish I was, you know, I wish I was on the couch eating potato chips instead, which I do, you know, I can have practice finding my happy place pretty much. And even just the idea of playing more games, the game gives you that sense of accomplishment. It can help you feel like you achieve something because if you spend too much time working towards this one goal and, and nothing else, and then you're, it's okay to fail and then try again. But if you're always failing and you have no small wins and you're, you know, like the quests you design are just like, now they're just too much for you. You're going to, you're, you're going backwards now, right? Cause you're just feeling, you're going to start feeling hopeless. And the idea is that to find things in your life that, are wins. It doesn't matter how small they are, yeah. they can make a huge difference. Yeah, and that, that translates perfectly into the next chapter, which is about keeping score. So being able to actually identify the small wins in in your life. And which so uh, let's see here. Yeah. Oh, that one doesn't actually have a blurb on it. So. And I'm, I'm surprised that it's not uh, a rule for gameful living. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of surprised because uh, I don't know. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to do, or it makes it a lot easier if you can quantify things, right? So I'm 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 curious about how much you like this chapter because there's tons of inventories and um, lots of suggestions for for again keeping score, uh, being able to see progress is so important, and we talked about that before. It's really hard sometimes, especially mm-hmm. in. If you're just gauging uh, your physical health based on how you look, for example, that may not be the same thing as how you feel. But or even if it's just how you look, you may not notice it. But if you measure, you know, if you take measurements in different parts of your body over time and you see that changing, that's like a way of keeping score. And the Super Better app gives you points for every single action that you take. Right. Every single time you challenge a bad guy, every single time you use a power up, there are points there to the different um, uh, areas of resilience. It's like when I said before, you know, find something else that can also boost your something else that can boost your mental resilience to help you with the mental game uh, involved in running. Then how do you know that something is uh, mental resilience and how do you know that now you have um, more mental resilience than you did before, let's assign some points to it. Let's keep score. Yeah. Is it just a way to, to track? And I know for a lot of people, points aren't particularly alluring, you know, for, but for some people they are. So for example, Weight Watchers, going back to that, uh, is everything is point-based. Like all the food you eat or if you count calories or if you're running, the amount of miles you've run, you know, there's some things that really lend themselves to tracking via points. And that make intuitive sense. But if you're tackling something, say, like anxiety or depression or PTSD, it can be less obvious. But she gives some really great uh, examples. So plus 50 curiosity or plus 100 courage for things that you do. So it's totally okay to create your own point system, to assign things that are difficult. And when you achieve them, you get you get points for them. Even something as simple as, you know, I made dinner tonight instead of ordering out. That could be plus five master chef. You know, I, I took Ellie on an extra walk. That's plus five beagle time. You know, there's there's things that you can do. Or, you know, plus five, I got out of bed this morning. You know, for some people, that is the that is the thing that they need to keep track of. And and if you're trying to level up on beagle time, 
then that's where it's helpful, right? Yes. Because then you're like, wait a minute, my goal or one of my goals is to spend more time with Ellie, then yeah, anything that adds to Beagle time is a, a push towards towards that, right? But if you're just counting Beagle time and your three or five goals that you're working on have nothing to do with that, then it it may not make sense. Like, well, okay, well, I've got Beagle time points, right? And then and then creating those milestones and, and just, it's really like being able to look back, right? So... Oh, like I've done all of this towards this goal or toward this right here. And again, you can use the super better framework to look at the at the different forms of resilience. I think that's a really cool um, model. And then, yeah, you can absolutely move forward. Uh, I do. A, I have a I, I have like a, an inventory that I do every single day for me. There are certain things in my life that I've quantified and I give a score, and every day I kind of want to see where I'm at, and it's more so I can look back and see, like, okay, like, that was a, a bad day or a good day, or I did really well in this area, I did uh, worse in that area, and I change that um, over time to suit whatever my goals are, the things that I'm trying to monitor at the moment. And I am totally not honestly, surprised that you have that kind of inventory system in your life. I'm just saying right now, this is my surprise face, which is uh, to say, not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> Also, and like doing it, um, the more often you do it, the more data you have. Right. It's a, it shouldn't surprise you, right? After all the, after we've, after everything we've talked about, um, wearables and stuff like that, right? I want wearables on everybody, everywhere. You're a data <laughs> fiend, my friend. And a data fiend. Yeah. Yes, but it's really <laughs> hard to make an argument or move towards a goal without without that data, and it doesn't have to be as specific as having a wearable and measuring, you know. A million different uh, biostatistics, right? It doesn't it doesn't have to be biostats. It doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't have to be that way. That's good. That's actually really good for different reasons. But in in terms of the book, what are you moving toward? What are your goals? And how can you measure that progress? And you know, if you've seen her TED talk about adding ten years to your life, that's where all of this kind of comes back together because mm-hmm. she shows it. You know that all of these positive things that you do for yourself, building up resilience can have a very, very positive effect on your health, on your lifespan, you know? So if you do a a certain amount of um, what she would call gameful activities, live a more gameful life, you can live a little bit longer. And, And that's just to show that all this stuff really matters and it can really help you in different, different areas. But in the now, right, forget about the 10 years uh, later, right? She, she touches on that at the end. But for right now, there's no better way to measure progress or see that you're moving forward than to actually keep score. Actually, it, it's, almost, it's almost impossible to do because then it's completely arbitrary and you can't actually prove it. It's like, am I doing better? Am I? Yeah. Did I do better? And Imagine if you re- just ran on a treadmill and it didn't count where you were going. Like if you run down the street, you know how far you got and then you can come back. But or, or how long it took. But if you're just like running in a in a on a white treadmill in a white room with no readout, like that's not very motivating. You have no idea what you did. It's the idea in, in game design of feedback. You know, when you play a game, you're constantly getting feedback. If your player character walks up to a brick and can't come pa- go past it, you know that the leg animation is still going, but you're just you're not going forward. You're getting feedback. Okay, okay, that I can't walk through this thing. You know, and you know, think about the opening level of Super Mario. You've got the Goomba walking towards you, and you, you know, if it walks into you, you restart. If you jump on it, then you get the feedback that it 
you know, that was the thing to do in that situation. So it's, it's, people are happy when they get rapid, accurate, and important feedback. And that's what this, this part of keeping score is really doing is there's some things that are difficult to track. So for example, um, you know, uh, more emotional types of things. So feeling depressed or anxious. I know one thing we do in therapy all the time is tell people to keep mood charts or to keep journals. And then after two or three months, when you look back, you see, oh, wow, you know, I, there's been an either, well, hopefully there's a gradual increase in the, the mood state or the journal entries become more positive. Um, and, and if see, not, and it gives if, you the chance to realize, okay, maybe this isn't working. Let me try something else. And that idea of a few months, that's something that uh, just frustrates me about mental health, about um, medical uh, health, like all types of even like eh, going to the gym is, is a little different. But mental health and, and medicine, they have these huge, very, very long feedback loops. Yes, they and, do. So close and, those loops. Uh, it's horrible, right? So I'm going to wait a week to see what my therapist thinks. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait a month to see what my psychiatrist thinks. I'm going to see my doctor once a year for a physical. Get out of here. That is not helpful. Um, it could be a lot more helpful if you if you start like taking ownership of that. Start monitoring because a lot of the, like a lot of those inventories, a lot of those questions you're answering, you just someone else is asking you. You're giving an answer. They're jotting it down. You can do that stuff on your own. That's why those inventories that she has listed are so great because you can take ownership over that. You can start um, taking uh, you know measuring your own things that matter to you, and then you don't have to wait two or three months. You can just look back like yesterday was a rough day, this happened, and look at the effect that it had on um, my score in this inventory. And then today, I'm going to try something different, and at the end of the day, let's see how I score in this inventory. And by doing that, you can make quick uh, changes, and you don't have to wait a week or a month or a year to start making changes. Like, the the idea of the one-year physical is just so absurd to me. <laughs> like, what, what? how is that even helpful? <laughs> anyway. That's that's what I got. Right, because the the like you said, the feedback loop is so so large. So that's what that's kind of what the quests are. Is it, it's giving you feedback or the power ups, doing the the power ups, the quest, and the bad guys uh, in the super better app. It gives you feedback every single day. It gives you feedback frequently whenever you want it. Like, hey, you did this thing, yay! Uh, and that's I think one of the the powerful things about it is the the frequency and reliability of the feedback. Uh, something else I really liked in this chapter was the idea of the mini games. So the competitive versus uh, cooperative mini games that you could do. So for example, you're on a team, you have a bunch of allies and your allies want to power up 100 uh, or use 100 power ups in a day or a week, or you have a team of you you're working on getting a streak, or you can do competitively things like who posts the first power up during the day? I would lose that because I don't wake up early. Um, and all these just different ways that you can work either competitively or co collaboratively with other people who are using Super Better to help yourself continue to use Super Better and to continue to get Super Better.
But yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much the end of this chapter. I uh, just rem- remind you at the very end to challenge yourself, collect and activate power-ups, find and battle bad guys, seek out and complete quests, recruit your allies, adopt a secret identity, and go for the epic win. I would love to hear how people are using it or if they if our discussion like helped at all in convincing you to to check it out or to use it a little differently or even to because like I said, I'm not completely I wouldn't say that the book is super better the game of the book, right? In terms of the app, it really does have like every chapter could be taken separately, and there's something you can take from it and apply in your life that could bring you some sort of benefit. Absolutely, but yeah. that that does conclude our super better book club fan club uh, review of the book. Again, check out the last uh, the last part, part three, the adventures. Uh, as Hostway Hostway mentioned, they've designed quests, and I'm going to check it out. Because I'll see if I can uh, if I can apply that to some of the things that I'm working on, especially as midterms are around the corner and stress levels are high, and the holidays are coming. Which I know for anybody who works on things related to health and food is really really challenging. So be sure to check it out. And yeah, that's going to do it for this week. Be sure to find us on PsychTechPodcast.com or on Twitter at PsychTechCast. We're also on Facebook, so you can find us there as well. And yeah, let us know how you've been using Super Better, what you thought of the book, and what you, you thought of our review of the book. We're getting very meta here. And yeah, so uh, I guess that's it. Bye, Kevin. <laughs> Bye, Oswald. <laughs>